0: I didn't uh i didn't see uh biden's speech on this i know he just gave a speech obviously he's been under fire a lot based on the 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 crazy images that have been coming out over the last couple of days from kabul airport and everything and you know the, the the taliban kind of instantly regaining control of the country like as soon as they left um did either of you guys see this speech like what did he did biden say anything in this speech that we didn't already know or what, what's what's the line that he's taking on this hung on every word rob yeah of course as usual yeah Mm -hmm.
1: no yeah i I watched he they're really trying to hammer home this narrative that i'm not going to pass this on to a fifth president i'm not going to take this into a third decade uh it's that it's a lot of you know shifting the blame he even threw he started out the speech by throwing obama under the bus by saying i oppose this uh, the surge really? in 2009 uh, a really subtle line at the very beginning that i didn't see many people pick up on but like he's just like throwing his his colleague or his, his buddy his best friend his friendship his friendship bracelet pal under the bus um, as they try to deal with this quagmire that they they've they've got themselves into in afghanistan i mean he's it, for someone who was a really like consistent figure throughout the past 20 years he's really doing everything he can yeah. to be like hey my hands are really tied here guys i just kind of inherited this whole mess when if anything i mean especially not so much uh Af- afghanistan but he was definitely a cheerleader for the iraq war yeah, enthusiastic um, so, cheerleader yeah. yeah uh but the, you know biden is 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 just all he's got his fingerprints all over the war on terror including the afghanistan invasion so he's now trying to act like it's just like it's just out of his hands he inherited this whole thing from trump and his predecessors when he was a very uniquely situated figure throughout the entire process
2: yeah yeah he uh, th- there was another line that he um he kind of i i can't remember exactly what it was but it was nearer to the end where he kind of like did a, had another little swipe at obama that I thought was I thought was pretty interesting just kind of like uh, I I think it was he, he he said some of the effect of like you know uh, every president before me has like kind of lied to you about you know what we could do you know what <laughs> you know what what possibilities um for uh you know what the possibilities were were for um for success in the Afghan war and and he was like and I'm not gonna do that and I was like well you know One of the guys was your buddy.
0: Yeah. uh... (laughs) Well, that's the thing that's hard to take that seriously, right? Because like like Jordan pointed out, obviously he's been an enthusiastic proponent of the Iraq war, the war on terror. But that was the whole – I mean that was the whole Obama – foreign policy sort of strategy in a nutshell was like, we're going to get out of the bad war, Iraq, and we're going to increase troops and do a troop surge in the good war in Afghanistan. And that's the where we're going to really concentrate. Um, that's where some of like the worst Obama war crimes took place, like the, that Kunduz Hospital, um, Doctors that the Borders Hospital bombing, which is a horrendous war crime that took place during this surge. And so, yeah, it's kind of hard to take Biden seriously when he's talking about, oh, yeah, I really opposed this. Um... When it's like, you know, nothing about his entire career, particularly this time in the Obama administration, indicates that that was his position at all. Um, But similar to the way in in the Democratic primary, when he tried to kind of rewrite history on his Iraq war support, I think that's kind of what he's up to right now when it comes to Afghanistan.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, it's kind of like a difficult speech to listen to for like for a couple of reasons. I mean, on the one hand, you know what he's saying about the necessity of leaving the war and, you know, and, and like, uh, I, you know, the, the line about how if we couldn't do it now, like if this, if this is what's going to happen now, like, like staying any longer is not going to make a difference. Like that's, that's definitely true. Um, I think that it, it, it's hard to kind of square that with his advocacy for, um, the war on terror, but I think they'll like maybe even more pressing and more, uh timely of 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 a concern is like sure like yeah i, I, I mean I, like i'll buy that totally uh that like there was never really any other way that this was going to go down as far as like the taliban just kind of overrunning the country and and you know the the uh the country's government collapsing sure totally will accept all that uh however you guys had like seven months to figure out how to get people out of there. And it looks like you didn't do anything until like a couple days ago. And I don't like, I know that they're trying to like spin it so that it, so, you know, it, it, in all these ways and not kind of really address that. But um that kind of central concern is just hanging there, you know, and, and he, he kind of addressed it, but not really. And so I kind of wonder about that a little bit. Um, but you know, I mean, for like about half of the stuff that he was saying and Jordan, I mean, you can, you can tell me if, if, if you think that this is me misinterpreting it, but it felt to me like half of what he was doing when he was talking was like, really, he was really passionate about it. And he had some really interesting things and and, or not interesting things, but he had some things to say that he felt really strongly about. Um, and, and it was really coming from the heart and then kind of when it came to the stuff, like this is why we didn't um, get people out of there in time. He was just obviously just like, just monotone reading it off the teleprompter.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's politically popular to withdraw. And at the same time, everybody knew it was going to be messy. You know, there, it wasn't like a secret that this is what was going to happen. And it's why even the Trump administration negotiated with the Taliban last year to negotiate a ceasefire, to negotiate terms of exit, because they knew, like, at the end of the day, the Afghan military was not going to be able to withstand uh, the Taliban. So that that's kind of, like, what they expected going into it. And the Taliban honored the ceasefire until Biden extended the date of withdrawal. And that's when they promised in the spring of this year, okay, we'll expect hell, expect a nightmare um, exit. And they kind of warned them that's what was going to happen, because they didn't honor the terms of the agreement. Whether or not they would have continued to um, uh, push... Uh, you know, uh, push for more territory and more control over the over the country in the final days. To what extent and severity they would have remains to be seen. That's you know it's up to speculation. I'm sure they probably would have uh, had some similar response had the terms been met. Um, but this isn't really taking many people by surprise. Now you're, start, you're you're trying to see you're you're starting to see kind of splitting hairs from the white house talking points i posted uh, a screen grab of some of them earlier and they're saying okay well you know we knew it wasn't uh inevitable but we or we didn't say it was inevitable that the taliban was going to take control we we knew it was a possibility we said it was a possibility well that's a pretty great possibility almost to the point like a likely certainhood uh, just because of how the country was set up and how weak the and how how weak the afghan military was um, the warnings from uh, CIGAR, the acronym, the, you know, the, the reconstruction in Afghanistan uh, wing within the U.S. government, um, just repeated warnings like this is not going to hold up. This is so fragile. It's not going to work. Um, ignoring those repeated warnings. And this is what happens. And now they're like, well, you know, kind of said it was going to happen. But we also didn't. It's also not our fault. You know, Biden just ripped off the Band-Aid. No one wanted to do it. He did it. And despite running on it in 08 and in 12, uh, Obama and Biden promising to leave, uh, now Biden finally did it, um, the thing I'm now concerned about among, uh, in the near term, I'm concerned about the well-being of people in Afghanistan, um, like both people who are just, you know, stuck there because of mismanagement at the airport, because of, you know bureaucratic failures here and how we process uh, evacuations and, you know, immigration restrictions and paperwork and visas and all that bullshit. Um, And also, you know, in the long term, people who are going to be stuck there because I think uh, Andrew Lawrence just tweeted it out, but I was thinking it earlier. And I just I think this is what we're going to see in 2024. You're going to see Republican platforms on reinvading Afghanistan. Because of the, of the Taliban or whoever, whoever then controls it, they're going to say, we need to get back in there.
0: Do you think Biden deserves some credit for the fact that he did rip the bandaid off in this way? And like, there's a ton of political pressure from all sides right now and from the media to be like, well, no, we need to withdraw. But, you know, we're doing it in this tar- in this bad way. And it's not being done properly. Um, do you think he does deserve some credit for sticking to that timeline and actually going through with this, regardless of the political consequences for it? A Timing mean- it. very very tiny bit very tiny bit
2: i i i I genuinely think that he does but but and and the but's a big one it's like but that doesn't excuse the way that they're doing this and the complete you know just like the fact that they obviously didn't think this through for more than like two seconds you know like those are two different things like yeah uh, like I'm, i'm glad that he's not backing down on this i don't think that he should um that's you know that's different than than saying that that what he's doing is like that the way that they're doing it is good. It's, it's obviously bad.
0: Because um, one thing I did notice today, especially is you have this kind of liberal media establishment, you know, typified by guys like Jake Tapper, uh, who have been very deferential to the Biden administration had have been kind of willing to engage in this kind of honeymoon period with the Biden administration now that the the bad orange man is out of there and have been kind of like just being basically stenographers for the Biden administration um, throughout the first bit of the uh, the first leg of his presidency Um, but now when it comes to like the true the empire being embarrassed or the troops being thrown under the bus all of a sudden you have folks like Tapper that are taking this big drastically different tone they're giving these kind of tough interviews Used to Anthony Blinken and you do get the sense that like He's gonna get hammered for this from all sides, I imagine. Like you pointed out, the you know the the Republicans are certainly gonna be running on this kind of stuff. Even these more kind of quote unquote populist Republicans who have been talking about getting Afghan out of Afghanistan are gonna kind of like forget their opposition to these forever wars because they're gonna find that it's a way to 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 attack Biden. Um, we're gonna be seeing that juxtaposition of Biden a few weeks ago saying, "There under no circumstances will this be like Saigon where people are getting airlifted out of the." the embassy. And no, it's not going to happen. And, you know, the, the Afghan military will hold the country contrasted with like what actually happened when that exact circumstance did actually uh, take place just weeks later. We're going to be seeing all kinds of political ads showing those those words with that footage. And it's you get the sense that this is going to be probably a huge political headache for for Biden, even if we do think that he's, he's more or less doing the right thing. Um, you know, we're going to be seeing a, a lot of that and and the liberal media establishment who have been very content to sort of uh, just rubber stamp their agenda so far are not going to show them that same kind of deference Because ultimately, uh, a lot of these people like they they are not only not just stenographers for the US government, but for the military industrial complex specifically. Right. But yeah, I
2: mean, uh, sorry, go ahead,
0: Jordan. Yeah, there's a, there's a ton of people who had their
1: hands uh, on levers at the onset. Who are now trying to rebrand themselves or, you know, have quiet mea culpas as they now uh, weigh in on what should have been done or what could have been done. And some of those people, like, you know, David Frum is one of those people. He's got a, a column in The Atlantic yesterday basically saying like, oh, you know what? We should have taken bin Laden uh, in December 2001 and gotten out. Oh, you don't say yeah um, thanks, as David. he was you know, <laughs> you know as he was like instrumental in selling uh you know a two decade war around you know a slew of lies that he got incredibly rich and 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 famous for he's turned that into a media career he's now the conscientious conservative type guy and t- tuts the worst elements of the republican party for profit as he you know whitewashes his record this is like – that people are like that are welcome uh, in, in the media circles shows how nobody's really going to be held accountable. I, t- I got a text from a veteran friend today who I know just from knowing him for years, and he's just – he feels really guilty about ever serving, um, and he was in Afghanistan and Iraq, and he said – It's so fucked up. The last two days, I've experienced like 20 different emotions. It's all so terrible. Now I know exactly how my uncle felt about Vietnam. What a waste! And no one will will ever be held accountable. And you have guys like this, who, you know, were just, you know, out of love of country or needing to pay for college or whatever, enlisted, around, uh, you know, and predicated on these lies that they were sold by people like David from. Uh, who went and now regret even being part of it as people like David Frum sleep fine at night or filthy rich or welcomed in, you know elite parties in DC and are frequently uh you know fawned over on cable news for their not voting for Trump which is an incredibly easy thing to do believe me I've done it twice uh this is just like like it's it's uh I feel really bad for people who bought that lie who were kids or who, who were young adults, maybe their brains weren't even fully formed and bought that lie out of a love of country or a sense of duty or whatever and now have to live with that guilt. And in some cases, PTSD, or in worst cases, are you know, they're not even alive because of these lies. And Now people like that are just like, you know, face no consequences whatsoever. Every single person who was behind it faces no consequences.
2: And they never will. Yeah, they never, they never will. will. Nothing. Nothing will ever happen Some of them are even selling
1: new wars. (laughs) Like some of them, they're already looking
0: to China. They're already looking to China. Um, What about you? On do you think that, um, like, do you think there's going to be political fallout for Biden for this? Even if we can say that he's more or less doing the right thing with, you know, maybe not, maybe not in the best way. But like, I I really do think that we're going to be seeing that the juxtaposition of that footage a lot probably as we get into like the next election cycle. And I think that's the thing that kind of alarms me as well, is like if they feel as if they're losing credibility, if they look at their poll numbers um, and see notice that it's dropping because of this, which I think is entirely likely considering the ways that the liberal media establishment are for sure going to be freaking out about this a lot more than they do pretty much anything else. Um, you wonder what they might try to respond to that with or if they might want to try to saber rattle elsewhere or increase bombing campaigns elsewhere like they've been doing in, in Somalia or Syria. Um that's the kind of dangerous thing about this moment. Is if they he might have done the right thing, Biden, in this case. But um, there, if they get the sense that this is hurting them politically, what are they going to do to try and shift those that those poll numbers? If that's what starts to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, it's hard to know. I I don't I really don't see Biden returning to Afghanistan after this. I think that it would be. Oh no,
0: it seems pretty resolute that he's not going to. Yeah,
2: I I think that it would just be too politically disastrous for him to do that. Uh I do think that um it's possible that Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's really hard it's it's really hard to say. I mean, I don't think that um Biden's a very I mean, you know, he didn't say anything for like 2 days, you know? Like I like like he doesn't really appear very often to speak, right? Sleepy Joe. Yeah, Sleepy low Joe. Energy. So, yeah, yeah low really energy, think. you know? And well, honestly, like, I just don't really know, like, what, and, 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 I mean, is, is, uh, is it really that damaging for him to, uh, be criticized by members of the media and, um, members of the Democratic and Republican establishment? I mean, I don't know how damaging to, to Biden or to really any politician that's going to be. I mean, like, you know, the, not the only people who the only people who, uh, are going to think that Jake Tapper being upset with you is something that's not good are the type of people who are going to vote for Biden anyway, right? So he's not going to lose anything from them. Um, and you know, otherwise, I mean, most people just kind of, you know, tend to just tend to like, um, the possibility of, uh, of the president being yelled at by, by people in the establishment, whether it's, you know, establishment media or, uh, or establishment media or, or, you know, political establishment. So I'm not really sure like how much damage um, staying out of Afghanistan is going to do to him. Um, You know, I I think the thing with Biden, that's always got me is I don't, I I don't know if he's smart or stupid. I I don't, I don't know. Like, I can't tell. I honestly cannot tell, Uh, (laughs) but I have done, uh, some reporting out of, out of Delaware, like, talking to people in Delaware, and they have, uh, told me that Biden's a lot smarter than he appears and a lot more calculated. So if that's true, I don't, I'm not saying that it is, but if it is, then, um, I would kind of expect that this was kind of thought through. It's also, uh, you know, quite possible that, um, that he isn't really thinking it through. I really don't know. Um, I mean, the th- it's I. It, I'm sorry. I don't really have an answer. It's just I'm just trying to you know just trying to like game it all out. And I don't really. I, I think I think it's quite possible that that he wouldn't really have anything that that, that he wouldn't face too much negative, too much negative uh, of a response. But that it, I guess it just kind of depends on if the people in his orbit think that you know that if if they kind of buy into the kind of unreality that says that you know the american people want you to uh continue bombing people which which they don't
1: part the grim reality though is like this is you know we'll still be in afghanistan just in a much less visible way uh you know austin has traveled the world boasting about our abilities to essentially strike anywhere we're just transitioning to a uh, more unseen form of combat it's going to be drone warfare this doesn't you know lead to people coming home in body bags that's harder to sell to the american public when you have you know your sons or nephews or brothers or grandkids dying uh you know that's that's tough that human toll and that's what most of his his rhetoric was around today it was like no more you know no more headstones at arlington national cemetery it's the human cost of war but only on our side because when you talk about all these things, there was a post even uh, Anna Navarro, the CNN commentator, another, <laughs> another Republican who's trying to rebrand because they don't want to be yeah. associated with the things that they espoused for years, uh, did this like you know this cost of war uh, summary that you know listed off you know the the number of tr- of. You know, it, was, it said 20 years, $2 trillion. U.S. Serv- service members killed in Afghanistan through April, 2,448. U.S. contractors, 3,846. Aid workers, 444, and journalists, 72. In the midst of this debacle, let's remember the service, the sacrifice, and loss of those families, and no mention of the hundred thousand plus Afghans who were killed uh, <laughs> as part of this effort. No, no, never any mention of that. So, but like a transition to an aerial, like drone warfare, will we'll, will never die, or the operators are you know in some air-conditioned facility, hundreds if not thousands of miles away doing drone runs or they just kind of monitor people for, you know, like uh, hours or days and are able to see um, disrupted dirt from miles and miles and miles away to follow people uh, without their knowledge and then strike them from, you know, Way up in the sky with no risk to us—that can continue forever because we're never going to see the cost of war on the other side. Those wars aren't fought here, so that's all we're doing. We're just transitioning to that, and then it'll be more targeted strikes. So until there's a a massive overhaul of the AUMF and how we see drone warfare as in relation to the AUMF, nothing's really going to change. It's just going to be no boots on the ground operations because again, that's so much harder to sell to the American public.
0: Yeah, I think that's the really like there's been it's kind of a mask off moment for a lot of a lot of folks uh, right now. But I think that's been the very frustrating thing Um, over the last couple of days, seeing people like in the political sphere, in in the media, all of a sudden talking about human rights and now human rights are like under threat and the women's rights are going to be under threat in Afghanistan in this new situation, which kind of like implicitly it implicitly suggests that, like somehow, human rights have been advanced over the last twenty years in Afghanistan, or that has, or good things have been happening on this front, or like that women's rights have been have been promoted heavily throughout this period. And it's just not true. Um, it's just not accurate whatsoever. And, and denying all the ways, all the massive human rights violations that have taken place, like as part of the occupation to begin with, all of a sudden this gets like kind of forgotten. Uh, of which there are many examples of this. And it's really strange to have people now all of a sudden wringing their hands about what's going to happen in hum- with, in, with regards to human rights um, in, this, in this transition period. Uh, where the United States leaves as if human rights have been respected at all throughout the last 20 years. It's been a human rights fucking calamity. This was never, this entire occupation was never, ever about human rights and that human rights have not been respected or improved in any way during the last two decades. But it doesn't stop people from still going on TV and going in magazines and making this argument that somehow now, now that the U.S. is leaving, that's now when human rights are really going to be a problem. You know, it's, it's completely unmoored from any kind of reality. Such bullshit. It's such fucking bullshit. They don't care. They they don't
1: they don't care about any of that, and they never did, and they certainly won't when it comes to any of our allies. Like it's it's absolute garbage. I can't it, like it's so unbelievably hollow to kind of invoke this kind of stuff. You know, just you, we saw it, it, it. That's the kind of the playbook when they've got nothing really. They resort to identity politics type stuff. Like that's not that's not why we were ever there. And certainly a military solution is no way to get equity for women anywhere. It's only going to lead to worse
0: outcomes. It's such bullshit on the same side in the same way that you have this kind of mask off moment for liberals who are suggesting that it's like it was somehow in in the reason that America was there for twenty years was to promote human rights, and now you have the other side of that, where you have these like lunatic conservatives who are just openly admitting that like yeah we should we should stay in Afghanistan indefinitely, like for the next hundred years if that's how long it takes, and we never should have left Vietnam, and like there are people that are talking about, you know, making that comparison between the fall of Saigon and the file and the fall of Kabul. Obviously these are very different situations in many ways, but there's obviously some some historical parallels there, and they're using this moment as to just to make that argument as well that like we never should have left vietnam we never should have left saigon in the first place we should have been there indefinitely as well um and this kind of th- this kind of opinion that i think they've been like uh, reticent to uh, be open about over the last 20 years all of a sudden it's like you have these people just kind of saying that quiet part out loud and being like yeah, yeah we should have just stayed there indefinitely and it's like it's uh, i appreciate it i guess in a certain level that they're finally kind of saying what they actually believe about this
2: you know what um, i mean one of the interesting things about that though is that you know uh yeah, like there are a lot of conservatives who are saying that right now. Um, but they are they're just not the they're just not like the they're not the party anymore. You know what I mean? Like they're not um they uh like like Trump Trump is the party now and he explicitly like ran against that kind of stuff. So I like it it is nice to see the mask off moment, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it is nice to see the mask off moment and everything, but like we we are ultimately we are talking to people who like their their views have some support uh you know within elite think tanks and some circles in Washington and obviously you know those like those guys do have influence obviously over over policy but as far as like their party uh or or you know like the like the political direction of the GOP which is the you know the conservative party in the in the country like I don't, I don't know how much they really have, like, like, like this mask off, this mask off moment is valuable because it shows you their priorities. However, um, it's, it's not going to have any kind of real ramification as far as the party goes, because that mentality has just been completely like taken out of, of the Republican party at this point. And so it's just, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like it's, so it's interesting that they're saying this. But I don't know if there are going to be any kind of like ramifications because of it.
0: Right. Well, I guess the thing that makes me doubt that, though, is that I'm not sure that a lot of these people are that sincere in their like newfound kind of anti war beliefs, which is really just a populism thing, because it's like they they recognize that these forever wars are unpopular. So it's just a way for them to kind of uh, set themselves apart. But you even have Trump criticizing Biden right now for this for the the invasion, this is taking that the way it's taking place. Trump, who, of course, infamously ran on this specifically, cut a deal with the Taliban, with with Mike Pompeo, and wanted to get out earlier than that, but he's still making the argument that, like, oh, I would have gotten out, but not like this, and I wouldn't have handed over these big weapons caches, um, and I wouldn't have handed over all this equipment, and would have gotten the civilians out and all this stuff. So it's like even these sort of right-wing populists who have campaigned against this sort of thing are still able to make their this kind of sort of argument, and that's it. It's like, regardless of what these guys have said about this in the past, um, I, I would not... I would not be surprised for a moment if any of these folks started just like completely going against this idea just because like they don't, I don't know if that's this kind of like uh, anti-interventionist stance is based on any kind of like moral principle, but just sort of a convenient political position to go against these very unpopular uh, indefinite occupations.
2: No, I, no, no, I, I, like absolutely. But, um, but I guess that just because like, like just because they're hypocrites about this, Um, doesn't mean that, um, that, that the position of, uh, the position that we should like still be involved in the war is one that has any kind of like, I guess, political power in the Republican party right now. I guess that's kind of more what I'm trying to say. Like they're not like, like nobody's going to get elected, um, in, in the Republican party right now, promising that we're going to go and like, like bomb the shit out of, um, Afghanistan. Or Somalia, or you know what I mean? Like, I think that at this point, it's been kind of like that's been kind of, that that political belief system has been kind of neutralized within the party. Even though, of course, yes, of course, like once they get once they get elected into power, they do all of that shit. Like, like Trump did all of that shit and then just lied about it, just said he wasn't doing it. Like, of course, that's going to happen. Um, but I, it's just I I just don't know if they can like still like drive. The political conversation about this stuff because they just don't have the political backing. If that makes if that makes sense.
0: So Owen, you have you've been doing some like actual reporting. I know I know you got a piece coming out tomorrow or today when most people are listening to this in the Daily Poster. Um, do you want to just get into a little bit about some of the conversations you've been having lately for the the reporting you've been doing about this? Like what what have you, what's been your main focus in terms of the what you've been working on um, yeah. over the last couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, I mean, I'm like, I've, I've, I've covered a number of things over the last couple of weeks, but um, uh, recently, uh, you know, with, with everything that's been going on with Afghanistan, I reached out to some some U.S. veterans of the war just to kind of, like, get their perspective on, on, on what's been happening. Um, you know, kind of, like, what's been going on with the withdrawal and... And how, um, you know, just kind of the the general like meltdown that we're watching, and, and you know, was this was this always inevitable? And um, and and I and I, you know, I asked them about. There's been this kind of refrain that that I've been hearing from, you know, uh, from I, w- I would say from the kind of center right at this point. I guess that's what you would call them about how like you know things are going to get so much worse once we're gone, once the, once the U.S. troops are gone, and that it's just going to be like tons of violence and uh and 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 you know it's just going to be it's just going to be like a kind of just kind of continuing um you a know, a uh, 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 horrific situation and and what these guys kind of said in re- in response to that and i saw them talking about this this is how like i just I like, kind of saw them talking about it on social media was you know like our presence there actually led to a lot of the violence and uh, made people's lives miserable and was was extremely um, upsetting to people. Um, I think that I'm going to pull this up real quick. I think, you know, there's this one one line. So this guy, Nate Bethia, uh, said, you know, uh, told me, you know, when people die accidentally, when people died accidentally and it was the fault of the coalition, we make condolence payments of around one thousand dollars, to two thousand dollars, depending on if it was the breadwinner or like a spouse or a child. And people thought, okay, this is fine. We paid them out, but you killed their fucking family. How could they not hate you forever? And and that was kind of the theme of this was just, you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, like 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 wh- how how could your presence in this war in this country, you know, be a net positive when it's just causing? intense violence and pain and anguish and and they they, you know they they kind of all told me about this and told me some uh some stories about it that were quite upsetting um and and just kind of talked about how you know the the war was kind of doomed from the beginning and and just like just a general like sense of disillusionment i think
1: i mean this is the problem though with with intervention and nation building this is the consequence when we leave because We leave these kind of fragile coalitions or fragile governments, and we leave very haphazardly in Afghanistan. We're leaving weapons stockpiles behind that the Taliban is quickly uh, looting uh, and adding to their arsenal. We've got a breakdown of bureaucratic bureaucratic processes at the airport where our own agencies aren't communicating, so people who are whitelisted by the State Department for evacuation are being denied by DOD at the airport and they're stuck there and people are now you know fearing for their lives as the Taliban is going door to door to look for foreigners look for U.S. Uh, uh, support staff or diplomats or, or whatever and you know in the next 72 hours it could get extremely ugly and there's unconfirmed reports that I heard from from folks uh, with uh, you know who are talking to people on the ground that the Taliban is marking homes of religious or ethnic minorities and you have got like a you know about 10 percent of the population is um you know an ethnic minority there so that as we see with so many other regime change or or as we saw even in the balkans or we saw another um fragile tumultuous countries regions whatever ethnic cleansing is, is often what follows a regime change like this that that's ugly um and The solution is not to stay forever. The solution to prevent it going forward is to not get involved in these types of affairs. It's not to wage a, you know, a multi-decade intervention campaign. It's not to uh, invade another country. And it's to stick to diplomacy. When you have a diplomacy-first foreign policy, you're going to lead to much better, healthier, robust outcomes. You aren't going to see the type of uptick in hate crimes domestically if you resort to a, a healthy, nuanced diplomacy. And that's what I fear with China as we as we pivot towards China. And part of this withdrawal is also predicated on an increased aggression toward China. This shores up resources that we could then use to beef up Taiwan, um, you know a, t- support uh, carriers in the South China Sea. That is going to lead to hate crimes here. People don't exercise any nuance. When we invaded Afghanistan and we invaded Iraq, People from Pakistan were getting the shit kicked out of them. Indians were getting the shit kicked out of them. Sikhs, especially, were getting the shit kicked out of them by by racists here. Racists don't, you know, make any, you know, don't make any distinctions between people from from any region, right? They're going to see Asians in general. They're going to beat the shit out of Japanese people or Korean people or whatever. Filipinos. It doesn't matter. If they look Asian, they are going to be subject to hate crimes here because of our foreign policy. Make no mistake, that's what's going to happen. And people are already upset over COVID. This is only going to make it worse. And the Biden administration and the State Department is fueling that. So while we should be learning a lesson right now in this withdrawal, looking at the fallout from our presence there, we should be applying those lessons to our foreign policy now, but we won't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And in in the midst of all the hand-wringing about human rights that we're hearing now as well, I mean, that's the thing that, like, if the United States actually wanted to promote human rights for Afghan people the thing that they could do right now not by not invading the country and reinvading the country or, or drone striking it would be to let in the highest number as possible of refugees and migrants from Afghanistan as like people that collaborated with their occupation but anyone that wants to uh, uh, escape the the, the the violence there if the US wanted to protect these people's human rights they could let them into the country and something tells me that they're not going to be so forthcoming with extending this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, invitation to people from Afghanistan, either either collaborators with the military or anyone that wants to that wants to apply for refugee status in the United States, you know?
2: No doubt. I mean yep. yeah. It's, it's the least uh, you could do. Pretty uh pretty depressing, honestly.
0: Yeah, just, it's extremely just no depressing. Real,
2: there's really just no it's bleak. Uh, it's bleak. It's very bleak. One thing that I heard a lot of was that, you know, whether or not this whether or not the violence was intentional or not, um, you know, civilians got caught in the crossfire a lot between the insurgents and the coalition troops that were there and that presented a lot of problems for for the you know for the quote-unquote mission um although you know i will say that you know i mean these guys are telling me like uh, like what what mission right like the, like like this. Not none of this stuff was ever going to work and it made no sense um you know, uh, like, like I was saying, like like Nate told me that they, he, he felt that the foreign, tr- quote, the foreign troop presence was the lar- was the single largest driver of the insurgency, close quote. Um, talking about how it just bred bre- resentment and anger. Uh, this guy, Jason Carell, that I talked to, just kind of explained how, you know, because everybody, so everybody would be deployed on tours and they would, they would kind of like. You know, you would come in for eight months to ten months and then you would, you you, you, you know, you would rotate out. So, like, what motivation would there be for anyone to work with you, um, considering they couldn't trust you anyway, because, it, 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 you know, like there, there was just no trust uh, from just considering the way that they were being treated, but also uh, any kind of any kind of like working with somebody like that person would, could, could be gone tomorrow. And then, and then you're kind of, you know, you put yourself out there and, and now you have to deal with the consequences without any, any, any backup. Um, but more than that, I think what Corral told me, which was, which was interesting was that kind of because the soldiers there had, and I think this is true of any occupying force, right? Like we hear about this in Palestine as well as, and, and heard about this certainly, uh, in Iraq during the war there that, that the, the soldiers would be, would have no accountability or or any kind of like, like they wouldn't be subject to any kind of consequence for anything that they did. And so without without any kind of discipline or accountability, that would put you know that that put people into a position where where they they, they just kind of lost all of their inhibitions and then you know you're just there during the grind and and you start to get really bored and then you start to like Start to think about doing some horrible things, and and he was saying he had to talk people out of just shooting farmers for no reason, just because they thought it'd be fun to just shoot people. Um, he said they literally didn't care by that point. Jesus. Yeah, it's it, pretty bleak. And then and then and then uh, I I'll, I'll just say uh, I you know kind of give a little content warning because this is pretty pretty fucked up shit. Um, but other guy I talked to Tyler um, said he he saw this one. This one moment and I'm and, and I'm just gonna read what he said and, and this is like I said, this is really disturbing, but I think that it really it really kinda of sums up to me just like the just, just the kind of like senseless brutality and violence that the people of Afghanistan have just had to deal with for like twenty years yeah and it's Um,
0: important it's important to understand the reality of this as well especially when we have so many people in the media class right now wringing their hands like i was saying before about human rights and now human rights now are not going to be respected i mean that's why it's really important that we truly grasp the kind of like depraved violence that we were uh supporting and paying for um during the occupation
2: right 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 so so they were um So he went to go do an investigation into an explosion in a nearby city. It was an IED. Uh, A a car had gone over it. And so, uh, quote, we approached the wreckage and found a woman covered in blood and burns who was holding something in her arms that was red and black as she was trying to pull another body out of the car, close quote. And so the, the object in her arms was a child. And so then he says, quote, the black was the charring on her body and the red was the blood and where her skin had peeled off. She pushed her into my chest, and I grabbed the body and set it down on the ground so the medics could aid her. Her torso was ripped open; I could see her ribs and collarbone, as well as what looked like multiple organs. She likely died instantly. I hope she did, anyways. And then, so then he kind of just told me he just kind of like blacked out after that. Like, oh um, you know, apparently, like there was another body in the car, but like, so I'm just like, you know, I'm just like reading this, uh, or or you know, like like I'm talking to this guy and just and I mean the thing is that, like and. and And I'm not sharing this because I think that it's like, uh, because it's like kind of like rubbernecking at like, at like this horror. I I think that it's more that it's like, if you're in, if, if you're in a situation for 20 straight years where this kind of an outcome to your children or your members of, members of your family, um, could happen at any moment, uh, because there are two forces in your country one is from your country even though like you like you may not like them the other is an occupying force from an empire half a world away and they're just like constantly fighting and you can never ever like for imagine for 20 years if you couldn't relax if you couldn't like think about like your family like leaving your ho- home and not being like blown up senselessly uh, I mean you know like like obviously like people think about this, uh, uh, for their families anyway, but like, this is the kind of like, if, if this was just like the constant crushing reality, um, of, of the occupation with, with like, and, and I don't, I don't know if something like that can even possibly get like normalized. Um, when I hear people like screaming about like how the US needs to like redeploy like thousands of, of troops there to like basically restart the war and like, and like get like, I mean, this is even, even, even the few people who are advocating for this, who actually are, are, are doing it because they care about, uh, the people there, which I don't think are, are, are many, uh, uh, but even, even if that is your concern, I mean, this is the reality that you are endorsing that will continue for like another, like 10 or 20 years. And I think that that's just like, not to me, that is not a morally acceptable outcome. Uh, and I, and I don't think that, and I think that the only way that people can endorse this kind of outcome is, is if they fund, like, like on some fundamental level think that the, that the, the value of, of, of the life of this child in, in this car, that that child's life is, it has less value than their child, right? If they somehow think that, like, that, or that they think that, that, uh, that the woman who, who, who was carrying her child, or like, like, like doesn't care as much about her child as they do because they're not quite human in the same kind of way. Like, that's the only way that I can possibly explain how 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 people can just continually endorse this this kind of like war and war making that that, that goes on uh, around the world because this is what happens like all the time. I mean, I like I know that this that's just repeating what we both said, but or all three of us have said, but. It's just I, I don't
0: worth reiterating.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just very it's it's very uh, it's very discouraging about. Yeah, uh, ab- ab- about whatever future wars we're going to have or 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 quote police actions or, or or drone warfare or whatever. I mean, whatever it's going to be, it's just going to be this. I mean, this this is the outcome, right? This is, yeah. this is the, what happens. So
1: that's our jingoism, though. That's the jingoism in our foreign policy. It's just reducing people to a subhuman level, and that's what we're going to start to see in China. Uh, the the xenophobia there that we we're already starting we're already starting to see the 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 barbaric descriptions of Chinese officials, leaders, governments, uh, you know, countrymen, whatever, uh, specifically around the Uyghurs. Um, the response to that being, of course, grant them asylum, bring them here, but no one will want to do that. It's going to be these people are barbaric. We need to intervene, and it's again going to be predica- predicated on this bullshit human rights um, line. But at the end of the day, that's it's going to be about enriching military contractors, military industrial complex to another degree. Um, but yeah, this is that's that's why it's why those lives don't matter, and it's why, like, like we talked about earlier, these self-pitying roundups of all the lives lost never include the innocent civilians uh, in Afghanistan or Iraq. It's just yeah, I had to it's our troops and our media and our whatever
2: I I had to go looking for that like I had to go yeah. looking for it and like I, I'm not even sure like I ended up just having to be like tens of thousands right because they, like you can't tell because like there's uh, like the, like the closest thing to uh to a to a clear number that I was able to find was you know was 71 thousand but then that included like Pakistan as well so it's like okay but you know you don't and and the, I mean, it's I when uh, I when when I used to work for for this outlet, um, you know, we, we we would report on uh, the the you know the civilian death counts and stuff from U.S. wars and like, you know, under under Obama it, under I mean Trump Obama Bush, uh, and I'm assuming this is the same with Biden. You know, they they obfuscate as much as they possibly can, and uh, it, it, to the extent that they even report the deaths at all. And it's just very it's just very uh, disheartening.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's that's something I talk about often uh, pushing back on the idea of Obama as this kind of like benign, enlightened, uh, benevolent uh, leader who kind of made the tough decisions. Did we really have to be done? I mean, the, the policy when it came to reporting civilian deaths with them was to literally just classify not just in Afghanistan, but everywhere they were carrying out this campaign of like drone bombings um, to classify. Every, every military-aged male who happened to be in the vicinity of one of these attacks, they just classified as an insurgent or as a, as a terrorist in an effort to uh, keep the numbers as low as possible um, for, these, for their civilian casualties in these, in these campaigns, which, as we now know... Because of like the whistleblowers, like Daniel Hale and others, um, that it was as high, it was you know as high as like ninety percent of the people that were being killed in in terms of these um, uh, these bombing campaigns in terms right. of civilians, right? Which and is those, like incredibly yeah. fucking horrible.
2: And that was the good days because then yeah. Trump just like stopped reporting them. Period. Yeah, exactly. Just like stopped reporting. I mean, like, it, and it's just
0: when it goes back to the lack of consequences as well, right? Because we've talked, I, I I talked about a couple of. Um, you know some low-level grunts that were that were court-martialed and convicted of committing crimes during this period. Um, there's this article I was looking at today from Rolling Stone, the Kill Team, how U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan murdered innocent civilians, which obviously is horrific. Um, and it's good that these people were were held accountable to the extent that they were. But that's the kind of fucked-up thing about these 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 wars is that you have these low-level grunts that do end up getting um, court-martialed and and Subject to consequences for carrying out these crimes. But as when you go higher up that ladder um, Up to and including the president of the United States all that accountability just disappears people that committed much worse crimes Like much more significant crimes with much higher body counts um, They escape all culpability from this um, And you know, we still have like the big news about Obama while all this is like his fucking birthday party in, in Martha's vineyard and like who's showing up and um you know he's he's held up as this sort of this enlightened member of the liberal uh, establishment um and has completely escaped all culpability for the the crimes that were committed uh, during this period it's and it's it's really sick how now that happens you know the the people that bear the most the most responsibility for it have the least consequences uh it's enough to make you feel completely fucking insane to to try to contemplate it
2: yeah well i mean it's like the same thing happened with um i mean lindy england Got in trouble for Ghraib, but, uh, you know, Rumsfeld and Bush did, yeah. you know, like, like, no, like, I don't, I don't even think like any higher up, uh, um, you know, nobody it, did. People did. I mean, of it's course just like, not. cause yeah. they, f-
1: they framed it as, what was the line? It was like uh, night shift at the animal house. Like they just kind of yeah. like framed it as like, Oh, these are just a few bad apples. But oh, everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone who green lit it, including like John, you, um, Dick Cheney, Rumsfeld, whomever, everything, everyone's fine. Even though they like just re, you know, reclassified it and redescribed it as organ failure or death, <laughs> like and everything, everything below that is like you know even just the sodomy, the sexual abuse, the trauma inflicted, the forced rectal feeding, the you know tying people up um, to the point where you know they couldn't even sleep. They were just you know tied to poles or tied to broomsticks or whatever, and their limbs were just stretched. Thin, and they had to just stay in these positions for hours or days on end. Electrocuted, beaten—you, a kid, a kid who was suspected of throwing a grenade, a child was used as a mop uh, on a floor. Just unbelievably grotesque behavior uh, by the, the by U.S. forces, and nobody—maybe a couple grunts get in trouble, but nobody who greenlit it and laughed about it and celebrated it. Nobody, nobody faces any repercussions. They all got book deals
2: yeah yeah and and um you know the, the there have of course been um there have been some other more disturbing stories that have come out that but that, that haven't actually been like totally verified of of the kind of abuse that we saw in those in those prisons but well I, um, to say nothing
0: yeah. of the prisons, there is widespread rampant pedophilia and sexual abuse within the Afghanistan security forces. this was like widely no- known everyone knew about this the us military completely ignored this completely ignored this a widespread phenomenon um which has been reported out a little bit, but again, when we talk about that's human a, yeah, rights, that's this, what, this is what I, that's what
1: I yeah this to, is yeah. what
0: I want to keep coming back to this idea about human rights that we've seen so much hand wringing about human rights, and it's like nothing nothing that's gone on over the last twenty years of this occupation indicates that human rights were important to anyone that was that was you know pulling the strings behind this occupation um, at mm-hmm. any point um, you can't you can't say that this occupation was somehow a force for human rights or women's rights when literally. The United States military was ignoring this issue of wild, wide, widespread child sexual abuse in the Afghanistan military and the security forces. Uh, this was like common knowledge; everyone knew about this, and it was legit. That's just part of part of this occupation, which apparently was 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 in place to uh, to defend and protect uh, the people of Afghanistan and their human rights. It's just we we can't. We can't allow this conversation to to these people to always like lead this lead with this and talk about this this intervention this military invention intervention as if that's the reason um there there's no fucking evidence that any of these people care one iota about human rights and there's just there's endless examples of these kinds of uh, just absolutely disgusting um widespread uh, uh, human rights violations that occurred over this. Um, you know, it's just, we, that's why I get frustrated because now we've seen this, we're seeing the hand wringing and a lot of people that I feel should know better are still kind of participating in it. And it's just, there's, there's endless examples, um, that we can draw from that, that that show us that this was never actually a factor or was never actually important to anyone that was, that was involved in this occupation. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a quick mention, though, for people interested who want to get a deeper look. Uh, I've been listening to Spencer Ackerman's book, Reign of Terror, this week. And holy shit, is it fantastic. It's maddening, uh, you know, but it's good. It's really, really good. And I, would, I would highly recommend it. He's also with Owen and Rob and me and now in in the Discontents Network. So we, I think we're contractually obligated to support it.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> yep. I have that. I have that. And I'm planning on... So uh, I don't, good, uh, yeah. I, I'm I'm going to be reading it. I think next week is when i start.
1: So nice. He's also in a shameless plug. He's on deep dive on TYT with me on Thursday night, talking. About oh great, it, so if folks nice. want to tune in nice. Don't yeah. miss it. It's a really really good book.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm 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 planning on reading it and like just quietly nodding along and being like, this is this is fine. <laughs> like like it's uh, yeah I, I, yeah he's it's just it. it I'm looking forward to it because I know that it's, I know that I'm going to read it and it's just going to be like preaching to the choir, but mm-hmm. uh, his reporting is so good that I'm just like really looking forward to like reading, reading somebody with like his, his, uh, his, his, his ex- extensive knowledge about this and kind mm-hmm. of like get, and, 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 and I'm really looking forward to the kind of analysis that, that he's able to kind of let breathe a little bit in the, in, in the book format.
1: Yep. I, I listened to "In the Shadows of the American Century" by Alfred McCoy right before this, and God, these are such an it's such an insane one-two punch. Um, the just the the historical analysis of how we got to this point from McCoy, and just showing like this is you know how the military apparatus and the State Department and our foreign policy at large has gotten us to this point, where we're at the brink of society, like you know a collapsing empire, and we're just in a spiral downward, and we're just you know just clearly using these uh military endeavors to run drugs or run whatever weapons get oil just just fuck everything in our wake and then Spencer's like okay and this is now how it's influencing America, american society it's just so it's such a grim one two punch but i think people would like both
0: well owen thanks for coming on to talk to us about this this extremely uh, uplifting subject matter do you have anything positive you <laughs> want to leave us with what's some good oh man What's some good news you want to talk about anything, um, anything making you happy going on
2: Yankees are playing well but I don't know if that that's not gonna appeal to
0: no that's not doing much for it's me. no Yankee yeah. zone how's your yeah. commander
1: deck what, what what kind of deck are you running right now
2: I uh, I just bought the Adrix and Nev twincasters precon I'm gonna it's a token generation deck um, mm. and I'm gonna soup it up a little bit. Um I actually I I was actually just visiting um my hometown so I got to uh play a good amount uh with my friends back there um and uh, I'm happy to report that I did pretty well um Nice and I I enraged one of my friends so much that she complained about it in a text to the other two uh, <laughs> say, which is always what you want. Always Hell what you
1: yeah! Want. There's nothing more enjoyable in a game of magic than just ruining their week. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And just and just knowing that it was eating at her so much that, like, two full days later, she like messaged the other two. Oh, that's so funny! Yeah, it's a great. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, thanks, Owen. It was good to catch up with you on this. Thanks for coming on. We'll make thanks, sure so. to plug all your all your stuff in the cool. description and everything. All right, guys. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later,
1: man. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or at Substack, theinsurgents.substack.com. You'll get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox as well as our newsletter. On Twitter, we are at InsurgentsPod. Tweet at us, harass cannon. our replies. And then send us your hate mail to theinsurgentspod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening.